0: Welcome to the Start Station podcast. I'm Matt Guyer I am the founder of Start Station as well as the host of this podcast. In all honesty, this podcast is very much an experiment. I'm trying some things out right now. I'll be trying some episodes where we deep dive into a particular topic and in other episodes, myself and another experienced entrepreneur will be answering the questions you might be thinking about. If you're an early stage innovator or work with innovators, this podcast is for you. With all of that being said, if you ever want to send in a question for it to be discussed on this podcast, you should email it to me at podcast at startstation.co. That's podcast at startstation.co. I would love to hear from you. In this episode, we spoke with Danny Ellis from Sky Specs. So without further ado, let's get into it.
1: All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Founder Feedback. Today, we're here with Danny Ellis from SkySpec. So, Danny, who are you? And can you just give a brief background of your entrepreneurial journey so far?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to start talking about uh, our startup journey. that uh, started really in 2009, uh, but uh, the, the company was officially founded in 2012. So, my background, I'm an aerospace engineer from the University of Michigan uh, by my formal training a bachelor's degree in 2010 and a master's degree in 2013. And the idea of SkySpecs really evolved from what was a senior design project in 2009 that quickly evolved into a student research project uh, called the Michigan Autonomous Aerial Vehicles. And that was uh, a uh, student-led competition for building an unmanned aerial system or a drone uh, for this international competition that was uh, all about autonomous systems navigating through unknown environments. And, you know, into my grad school, uh, you know, the University of Michigan approached us and suggested we join uh, their incubator, TechArb is the name of it, to take this idea of an autonomous drone and turn it into a business. And so it was really kind of right place, right time, accidental. You know, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, me and my co-founders looked at each other and said, you know, why not? Let's give this a shot. And so that in 2012 is when we founded the company. Uh, we had all kind of looked at uh, opportunities of, of other jobs, and I turned down a, a job offer from SpaceX uh, to do this, and uh, you know, kind of just jumped right in, trying to figure out, you know, what does it mean to even be an entrepreneur, or to be in a startup? How do we come up with an idea? It was the first time we learned about what an MVP meant, and how do we approach investors and get funding, and you know, find a space to work and build a team, and. You know all the early stage problems, and we ran around, kind uh, of you know learning everything from incubators and accelerator programs, and and just kind of soaking it all in. And at the time, you know, we were really a solution looking for a problem, which is you know the wrong way to start a business. Uh, a lot of people do it that way, and and, and some are successful, and I think we've proven uh, that out for ourselves. Uh, but it's not really the easiest way you know, to go about doing it. And so we looked at a bunch of different industries and said, you know, which industries could benefit from an automated drone that could collect data, you know, hard to reach places. And so we started looking at bridges and buildings and cell towers and, you know, anything that, that we thought was hard to reach. And, uh, you know, after many months of, uh, you know, kind of throwing darts at the wall, nothing was really sticking. Uh, we were thinking, you know, maybe it's time to, to wrap this up and, and go back and beg for the job offers that we all turned down. And then uh, this business competition came up, it was called the Michigan Clean Energy Venture Challenge. And an advisor of ours said, well, you know, I think you'd be really good at this, you should give this a shot, might be access to some funding. We laughed and we're like, we're not a clean energy company, like we don't even qualify, why would we go after that? And he said, well, why don't you just inspect wind turbines? And that was the first time that we had considered, you know, renewable energy as, as a use case for our technology. And so So we entered the competition, uh, we took first place, and we won $50,000, and and that was really the spark that set us off in that direction. Uh, Fast forward many years, that was in 2013, we ended up commercializing a product in 2017 that was the world's first uh, way to automatically inspect all three blades of a wind turbine in a single operation, with no human pilot flying, nobody climbing the tower, uh, all done in 15 minutes or less uh, for an ENTRE wind turbine. And, uh, and, you know, we you know, found a, a, a product market fit that was very surprising to us if we'd you know, gone all the way back to 2012 and then started growing the company around that. And we've really shifted to being a renewable energy company, not a drone company. And, you know, built our team, built our product, built our messaging all around optimizing renewable energy. Uh, ended up building a software product that we call Horizon around uh, optimization of, of wind energy. And you know, we, we partner up robotics with that and data analytics and machine learning. And we have an entire solutions team that is, uh, you know, works with our customers hands on to learn about their data and, and help decide action items on, on what to do about maintenance. And, and it's a very different looking company from 2012, but has the same common threads of autonomous robotics you know, from the very beginning.
1: Okay, so then what made you go through, I mean, there's a lot that goes into like moving, especially because you guys were doing a lot of revenue and growing really quickly. I know when you guys were starting the inspections, like what made you shift from saying, okay, like we want to do this, but also do some software and be more like renewable energy focused, rather than just being like, oh, we're gonna do another inspection industry or something like that. Like what made you go that route instead of, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a great question and, and advice that I give to all early entrepreneurs. It's uh, purely focus. You know, we we were trying to do four or five industries all at once and recognizing that we were really going to be mediocre in all of them. By focusing on wind and putting all of our attention on a single problem, uh, we were able to become the best in the industry at that. And then, you know, once we started doing that, we started collecting all this data. We very quickly realized there was no place to put that data. And so we needed to build a software platform to be the host of that data, to be the, the center point of analysis and the, uh, really the workflow management for our customers, you know, where they had conversations on the data, how they came to action items and next steps, and how they shared it with others, you know, other stakeholders that needed that data. We came into the industry thinking there will be a place to put our data. And we're very surprised to find out there wasn't. You know, most of our industry was run in Excel and PDFs and emails. And it was going to very quickly become too cumbersome to handle. And so we did that. And then in the process, we found that, you know, handing over thousands to hundreds of thousands of images to our customers, uh, you know, they weren't able to handle that on their own either. So we built the whole uh, process to analyze it, give them clear action items, you know, give them uh, a way to very quickly turn that into a business case for you know, their own use and not have to worry about the the raw data on their own. And then from there, we've, we've been solving many other problems for our customers around the entire asset management and are quickly moving into you know other components of, of renewable energy.
1: Okay, yeah, and no, that totally makes sense. That's really good advice. Cause I think that's what we like, it's always interesting to see like people go from like, oh, we do this industry, this industry, this industry, but then all of a sudden you're too broad. So that totally makes sense of why like thinking that through. And then I guess, like to what extent you're comfortable sharing, like where is Sky Specs right now in terms of like team size or like what stage are you in right now?
2: Yeah, you know, we started uh, with pretty much five people in the early days that had, had come from the University of Michigan. And, you know, slowly grew. At one point we were 12 to 14, we'd raised around the funding. Uh, we grew to about 22 by the time we raised our series B. And, and that was in, December of 2015 was our Series B. No, sorry, 2017. Uh, 2015 was our Series A. 2017 our Series B. About 22 people, and now we're at 77 people and growing. And uh, I raised the Series C December of 2019. Raised 17 million dollars then, and have uh, you know just had a very strong growth path ever since we really launched our commercial product in 2017. And, uh, and so that, I mean, that has come with its own challenges. We are in multiple countries now. We have an office in Amsterdam. We have operated on wind farms in 25 countries. And, uh, you know, just the, the sheer scale of that and maintaining quality control and, uh, you know, all of that has just brought in new challenges every step of the way. But I, I like to say, you know, especially to early entrepreneurs, like, we still consider ourselves a startup from our, our culture and how we operate, Um, but we definitely got past a lot of the things that kill early startups. And, you know, the mindset I think you need to have is just like, what is the immediate problem? What do we have to get over next? And eventually, you know, you'll get to bigger and bigger problems. You'll buy yourself the opportunity to bring on more people to solve harder and harder problems. Um, you know, but don't, don't try to look too far down the road and and get too scared about the problems coming up, you know, focus on the, you know, the here and the now and, you know, eventually you'll get past those and on to you know, bigger, bigger, tougher, in a lot of ways, more fun uh, problems to try to solve.
1: Well, that's a really great transition into these questions I have for you. They're more like founder-related. First question I have for you is, and I think it's a really good one. I know we've talked about this in the past, is I'm a mechanical engineer and want to build a hardware startup. However, I know hardware can be quite the expensive just startup costs. How do you actually get funding for hardware? And should you actually start a hardware company these days with multiple companies that have raised tons of millions of dollars and actually just failed?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a, a loaded question for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it very much depends. I think that, you know, there is an, an, uh, the saying that hardware is hard and a lot of venture capitalists, especially from the West Coast, have wanted to stay away from it. Um, but I do think over the last few years, last five years or so, that mentality has shifted. You know, it's uh, the world is not run purely on apps and purely on software. I think what you need to focus on is 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 the technology something that's going to have a monumental shift in solving a problem. Really focus on what problem is being solved. And I think one of the biggest mistakes you make in hardware is is building something for the sake of it being cool. That's easy to do in software. Realize it wasn't that cool and delete it and move on. You didn't spend a lot of money. Uh, but hardware, if you're especially if you're like getting molds made or you know it, it is a very expensive problem but there's still a lot of problems in the world to be solved with hardware. You just have to be very sure that you've tested the market, tested the problem you're trying to solve and, and really ask yourself, is this the best solution to this problem? Uh, but ultimately, I mean, we live in a real physical world. We need real physical products and especially in robotics and autonomy, like autonomous cars, autonomous aviation, you know, all that kind of stuff, it is a hardware product. And there's a lot that goes into that. There's a huge supply chain of the components that you know, are needed to be made, to even build the, the bigger solution, So, you know, I don't think it's something to shy away from. Uh, I mean, we're kind of in hardware with the drones that we have, but most of our product is a software product and, and the value we deliver is largely in software. But if we didn't have the hardware, we wouldn't have the means of collecting the data that is the, you know, the valuable component of our final product anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think what I've been seeing too is a lot of them either have recurring revenue of some sort that go with them or there's like a data component, as you mentioned, with like with you, with what you're doing at SkySpecs or seeing like different ways of doing the data component has been interesting, especially even at the like, B2C level. Like I didn't know data could be actually that valuable even for like consumers. Um, That's been interesting to see. And I think just the way you like, you pair something with it, I think has been the, from my perspective, like been really interesting of how people go, like they're built, like Peloton to me is like the best example of like, right, they have the bike, but then they have all this like memberships and all these other things that go with it that make them even more valuable.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people have been saying like data is the new gold mine, Uh, but I'd be really careful there as well because the raw data by itself, is honestly not that valuable anymore. It was because other people would pay for big data sets, but you really have to get to an action item. You have to get to solving a problem and making somebody's life better, and uh, and so you need to know what to do with that data. Don't don't just set out to collect mass amounts of raw data unless you know what you're going to do with it. Um, but I do think you know meshing the physical world with the digital world and and getting into you know some form of services that can help people. You, you can definitely build a hardware company as a component of that with, with, and, and raise money. There are definitely investors looking to fund that kind of stuff. As long as it's truly innovative.
1: Totally. Well, actually on that note with raising money. So the next question I have for you is I'm thinking about raising money for my company, but don't even know where to start. How do we get started with trying to get with this investor interest?
2: The first question is, should you raise money? Um, you know, we're a venture backed company. We've raised four rounds of funding. For what we were doing, we absolutely needed money because we needed to be able to to pay people for development for many years before we actually got to a sellable product. Um, But the the thing I really uh, emphasize here is what are you raising the money for? What is the the next step? What's the milestone? What's the end game? Uh, I think too many people and too uh, much of the media makes fundraising feel like the end game. And, and they celebrate fundraising and, and they make companies look successful because they raised. But raising should be a means to an end. And, and we should celebrate more the end, celebrate what was achieved by raising the money. And you don't hear those stories all that often. And, uh, and so that's really the question is like, you know, funding is available. Even during the pandemic, funding is available if you have a good story to tell, if you have good traction, a good team you know you need to be able to prove that you're going to take that money and go build something better with it and and i think unfortunately you know a lot of early stage companies think is the end game and even when they achieve it then they take a breath they relax and they're like okay great we got there and then all of a sudden 6 months goes by and they didn't even do anything with it yet and and so i think that's the biggest challenge but as for where to start i mean incubators accelerator programs you know you're you know, if you're if you're in michigan you know ann arbor spark um, invest detroit those kind of programs, uh, have great networks and can really connect you and just have those conversations. I mean, it's a little bit harder during the pandemic. You can't go show up to, you know, the meetups that that were happening, uh, pretty much every week. Uh, but soon that'll, that'll change again. And so I'd say that, you know, just throwing your story out there, telling it to as many people as you can, will start to connect you. And I promise you, no, one's going to steal your idea, talk about your idea um you know your idea is going to change anyway by the time you actually get funding and then turn it into a product so just talk about it and the more you talk about it the more people will get involved and eventually you'll find the right match you know with the right investor
1: yeah there's so many different like rabbit holes I feel I can go down in that but I think the first one that you mentioned was like yeah we act like funding is the like the end game and it's been really interesting on my part of like organizations that don't have any like incentives to, like publicize like funding but they're like oh this company got funded and like cheering and like that's just the, that's just the starting point like what are they doing like what are the things can they celebrate and the, well, we're always celebrating funding because that's very obvious like
2: yeah it's the yeah. easy story it's the yeah. easy thing to click on i mean honestly it's all filed with the sec anyway and there are our publications that are just you know co- you know combing through that data saying hey someone raised let's put a story mm-hmm. out about it and you know, it, it, it's also that not a lot of companies necessarily want to publicize their midterm successes. They don't necessarily want to tell the competition what's going on. So you don't see that as easily, but, uh, you know, the success there is what should be celebrated, not, not the fundraising.
1: Yeah. So I guess maybe a follow-up to that too is, because I think you're one of the more unique people we've had that you've raised multiple, like you've raised up to series C now, like how does fundraising change like in, in these different rounds? Cause I know like when we were like with Fathom, right, you had a totally different spreadsheet than I was using. And we were, you know, way earlier than you guys were at the time. But I mean, how does fundraising change as you go down these different uh, like rounds?
2: Yeah, I mean, they follow a pattern. Um, Generally speaking, your your early stages, your pre-seed, seed seed and A, whatever you want to title them, are on a story, on a team, and on early, you know, beta traction that you might have. Uh, not really on revenue. You know, it's, it's mostly on just the concept, improving the concept. Once you get into the A or the B round, depending on how much you've raised before and, and you know, what you're titling your rounds, then you start to go on revenue on key accounts. You're, you're always still funding on the team, right? The team is kind of always core. Can this team get to the next round? Um, but then you're really looking at your metrics of, you know, how much revenue have you gotten? What's your revenue growth? What is the churn on your customer base? And, If you can tell a story there and say, hey, look, if I raise another X million, we will double or triple this this growth, um, that's usually what they're looking at. I would say that not to say that any round is easier than another. They're all different. They're different challenges. And and really, success in one round does not guarantee success in another round. But uh, in your later stage rounds, if you've got the right traction and the right metrics and the right product market fit and you find the right strategic investor that understands your space and is going to add value in many ways, those later rounds are easier to raise because you've got the traction, but it's really, are you solving a problem? And if you are solving a problem and there is, is reason to put more money into solving the problem further, then you're going to be able to raise money. Um, you know, that's, it's different in every market. It's different in every situation. Uh, it's, I in my opinion, a lot harder to tell a purely vision story when you have very little traction, or, you know, to back it up. I, I think the seed round is, is in my opinion, the hardest round to raise.
1: That's really interesting because I feel like my natural inclination would be like the later rounds are like because you have to. I think the constant like stories I've heard is that once you raise it, like the, you know, the first round, then the next round's maybe even harder because you have to hit these certain benchmarks, right? For certain investors, at least they're, they're expecting a certain growth rate or whatever it is. And I, yeah, I get the vision thing. So I guess like, does it get more math driven, like as you go further and further and further in these different rounds? Like, is it, Hey, we need to see this and this and that, like, does it get really like in the minute details that are still like, like mainly a vision thing. We're just like traction backing it up.
2: There's there's still a lot of vision to it, for sure. I mean, you got to tell the story of of where you're trying to get in one year and five years and 10 years. And like, how are you changing the world? Um, Of course, investors want to know, like, what can they possibly expect to get a return on? I mean, they they have to have that return story to make sense. It's not so much that the, the later rounds are easier in total. It's a lot harder to hit the traction, to hit the milestones. Like, you have to perform. If you perform, if you're solving the right problem, you got the right team, the right product, and if you perform, the the rest of that raising story is easier. Uh, obviously, if you don't perform, then it's really hard to raise. It does get harder to raise. Like if you've been around three rounds and you're still not performing, yeah, that's a near impossible round to raise. You know, so it, it's it's predicated on actually hitting your milestones. Now, a lot of this, in our opinion, uh, comes down to. Uh, you know, one of the mantras we live by is under promise over deliver. And it's not so much like, you know, under promise to the point where you make it look easy. You still have to promise something that is impressive. You have to show that we're, we're making it there, but do so in a way that, you know, you're confident your team can do it. And usually fundraising takes six to 12 months. I think the average trust has been nine months around. And, uh, you know, so you, you talk to an investor, you tell them your story, you tell them what you're going to do. And in the natural process of talking to them, you're going to be hitting milestones. And so if you told them, hey, in six months, we're going to do this, and then you do it in four months, and then you say, we're going to do something else, and you do that in three months, and you do that on repeat, you start to really build some trust and momentum with those conversations that makes closing the round easier and, uh, and bringing on the right investors. You know? So a lot of that is just make sure you can perform.
0: So far, you're loving this podcast. I get it. It's pretty great, especially the guests. The host, you might have some mixed feelings about, but that doesn't matter. If you're loving this podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. It really helps us to continue to help other innovators and it allows us to keep improving this. So yeah, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way. Okay, my own commercial break is over. Back to the episode.
1: No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think, yeah, as you're building your team, right, it's, it gets really important to do that. And I think if you know what you're doing and you know how to execute and know, how, like, good habits, I think, like, I think a lot of stuff just kind of lines up. It goes back to, like, the whole problem, right? If you're solving a problem that's, like, worthwhile, I think it it becomes so much easier to do that. So that makes sense. All right, to shift gears though a little bit is, it feels like the world is ending with COVID-19 in some instances. Like, where is it feels like there's been a lot of opportunities at the same time with entrepreneurs, like from your perspective, like what are some like really good things that are coming out of this whole like COVID-19 pandemic?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you, you really have to focus on solving a meaningful problem. You know, if you're solving a meaningful problem for the betterment of humanity in some way or another, um, then I think there's still going to be a lot of funding and traction available. It's uh, you know, if, if you're solving something that was like a nice to have, Yeah, it's going to be tough. You know, if you're in a luxury brand or you're doing something that is easy to cut out when people are doing budget cuts, you're in a really, really tough spot for sure. Not to say impossible, but really tough. Um, We've been very fortunate that we work in critical infrastructure. You know, people need electricity, whether it's a pandemic or not a pandemic, we need electricity. And that electrical system needs to run. And so we've been super fortunate in that sense for ourselves. Now, I I will say... um, there's been a lot of benefits that, that people have seen of not necessarily needing to work in an office. If you're brand new and you're trying to start a brand new company, like you have access to talent around the world that you could partner up with. You could grow a team and not a single person's living in your city where before you might have needed to find co-founders or early employees that were in your neighborhood. And that might have been challenging depending on, on where you live. And now those doors are open everywhere. You know, you don't have to be in downtown San Francisco to build a team because not many people are in the office anyway. You know, so I, I think that's a really unique uh, opportunity. We've used it as well for our growth. We've we've hired, I think we've hired four or five people so far uh, during the pandemic that I've never met, that we've only video chatted, right? We've never been in the same city. And so I, I find that to just be a, a different take on how business is going to run. Now, I'm still looking very forward to getting back to an office. And I think there's a lot of benefit being face to face but then you know similarly customers are are adopting you know this this virtual interface and so when we used to have to travel a lot to our customers go to conferences and like just a lot of on the road a lot of expense a lot of time I can get 10 of those conversations done in an afternoon now and and so you know since they've adopted it and they they recognize you're not traveling it's okay to have those conversations virtually and almost all of our sales this year have had to be virtual. And I mean, that can be harder depending on the industry you're in, but I also think there's, there's a, a benefit to that as well.
1: Yeah. I think that's what it's been really interesting for me is like the travel side of things. Like I think a lot of people are realizing, like we don't actually need to be traveling as much as we all needed to be. I think, What's been cool, I've seen some like companies they go and fundraise their entire round and they're like, Yeah, I did it from my living room <laughs> or I did yeah. it in my kitchen. I'm like, Wow, all right, that's pretty sweet. Like I would uh, like I remember traveling all over the place all the time, being in the car, just even around Michigan, right? You're just like constantly in these meetings and now it's like, Okay, like I can just sit at my desk all day and like take, you know, five, six, you know, investor meetings in the day. Like that to me is super exciting because you don't have to waste all these time, especially if it's like a bad meeting that you don't actually need.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only worked because everyone's had to adopt it at the exact same time. You know, and I think like you know, the, the virtualization of the office had been slowly happening, but so many people didn't want to adopt it. They'd be like, no, we're meeting face-to-face. And, and like I said, I love face-to-face meetings. I think they're really important. Uh, but so many of them can be done virtually. And I can't tell you how many trips to Europe I took to meet with customers. And I haven't been to Europe now. I went in January, but like, I'm usually going there 10 times a year. And, uh, and that's been cut back significantly. So I obviously, and it's, uh, it's just, it's a forced mindset shift for everyone. So we're all adopting it and there's a big benefit to be had there.
1: Yeah, no. So I guess maybe to like go like to follow up with this question is like how, like, I think what's been weird about the situation though, is like, there's no like certainty in any of this, right. We don't know when this thing's going to end. Like we all can kind of take some guesses, but it's like, I remember when this first started, I was like, Oh, like, we'll be done in three weeks or whatever. And I was like, and then three weeks happened. We're like, Oh, we're continuing. Like, it just, it, <laughs> it just keeps going. <laughs> so like, how do you, like, how do you like strategically plan and like figure things out like that when you don't actually know what even like three months looks like?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a very different environment than before. And, and thankfully everyone's going through it once again. So we're all, all kind of taking guesses. And, uh, I think, we just have to operate. Like this is, this is it for a while. Um, Like we have no plans on when we're going back to an office. We were telling our team, like, maybe we'll be back in June. Nope. Not then. Maybe July, maybe August. Now we're like, nah, probably June, 2021. Like just get comfortable, make, make your home office nice. Make sure like anything else that you need support with uh, you know, you, you ask for uh, cause this is the way it's going to be. And same with customers. Like we just have had to, adapt to that and and not really plan on it being any different. And I think, you know, even when it starts to end, it's not going to be like a light switch. You know, it's going to be gradual. There's still going to be people that are cautious. Even if a vaccine comes out, it's going to take a while to actually get enough of the population vaccinated. So like travel is still going to be cautious. Face-to-face meetings still going to be cautious. Um, And then even then for you know if you're in a business that is like I said a luxury brand, it's going to take a while for the economy to rebound where people are willing to open up their budgets and spend on the extra stuff uh, versus just the baseline. And so if you're starting a business right now, or you started it within the last 12 months, like really ask yourself, are we solving a necessary problem? And I think there will be some good out of that. I think, you know, let's put good minds to, to work, to solve necessary problems. And like, I mean, not to, not to make fun of it too many things too much, but like, we don't need more instagram filters right like it, that's not a that's a that's a nice to have it's not necessary but we do need to solve like energy we do need to solve transportation we do need to solve you know there's so many important problems to be solving i mean even in like the the mental health space with people working from home and like a whole dynamic shift there is like telemedicine and and you know that that kind of world of you know, uh, virtualization and digitization there's a lot of real problems to solve that i think you know smart minds can be focused on now
1: yeah, I know. I think that really goes, that's like great perspective, honestly, because I think, yeah, I think, A, I think the way I've been thinking through it is probably similar as like just taking like this, like, yeah, like this, is, it's more of like a conservative approach of like, yeah, this isn't, isn't, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. And I, I mean, even, yeah, even right, if we do get a vaccine or whatnot, like, it is going to take some time. So I think earliest, right, is going to be like June. I mean, I don't yeah. know. We're all not doctors by any means, but. You know, I, I think it's, yeah, you, can, you don't know what you can do. And it, like, like you mentioned way earlier, right? You just got to take it step by step and you can't let like these big picture things kind of scare you out of not doing anything. So,
2: yeah, I've, I've been hearing, uh, you know, people call it the great reset. And, and I think that there's some benefit to the world slowing down a little bit, you know, especially if you're a young entrepreneur or, you know, if you've got some extra time, take that time, do online classes, learn a new skill, read books, like it's it's not this like extremely fast paced race where you have to be first to market right this second, you know. Take some time to to learn. Take some time to you know reconnect with your family. Do these other things that a lot of entrepreneurs ignore in their early days when they're trying to work fifteen to seventeen hour days. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of benefit from that. And uh, you know, while everyone is slowed down, go learn something new.
1: Yeah, totally. So I guess the last question I have for you, and we, it kind of goes back to the beginning of your story, is I'm currently a senior in college and have a startup concept that I'm planning on working on after graduation. Should I still go get a job and work on my startup at the same time or just solely focus on my startup as much as I can?
2: That, that is a tough question. I mean, in my opinion, if you have the means to focus on the startup only, that is the best way to give it. It's, it's a fair shot. And and if you're only doing it on the side, there's always going to be excuses that are coming up as to why you're not giving it the full attention, whether it's, you know, your other job that it's paying you is, is requiring you to work more hours or the classes that you're taking or, or you your know, homework is taking up too much time. There's always going to be an excuse. Now I think if you're, you know, end of high school, into college, end of college, I think that's the ideal time to take a shot because like, what do you have to lose? You know, you can always jump into the workforce. It's different than like quitting your job 10 years into your career to start something realizing it wasn't a great idea and then trying to get back into your career. Uh, That's still feasible, not impossible. But if, I mean, if you're living like a a student, keep living like a student for a while, I think it's the best time uh, to give it a shot. But at the same time, like if you can't afford to wall off a year of your life and only work on the startup, that's really the only way you're going to know if it's going to be successful because you've given it your full attention. And I think that's, that's true with anything you're trying to do in life. Is like if you can give it the full attention, then you will know for sure whether or not it's going to succeed or fail. And and it's okay if it fails. You, you've learned a lot. Do it again. Pick it up. Go somewhere else. And, and if you've got to get a job to support yourself, get a job in an area you can learn more to you know for another idea down the road. Um, but i just be very careful trying to only put – you know, five hours, 10 hours a week here and there after hours, because it's, it's never going to, you know, make it to the next milestone if if you don't have full attention on it.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to think about it. I think the other thing that I worry about too, with people doing it both is that like this, the burnout side, right? Is that if you're, you're always trying to do like 40 hours on both. And it's like, Yeah. You can do that for like sprints, but you can't do that for like a year or two. Like that's going to totally, I mean, you'll be burnt out at some point. You can't even function. So
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reason you're doing this is is to build a better life and enjoy life. So enjoy it while you're there as well. You know, don't, don't be working 18 hours a day just so you can sleep the remaining hours and, and then, you know, wake up one day and realize 10 years have passed. Yeah, it's uh, we we were doing that in the early days, working a ton of hours, and then uh, thankfully, you know, after about two years into it, we we kind of took a step back and we're like, we need our weekends, we need our nights, and and we realized that like, we could focus just as hard during those working hours and get just as much done if we had the time to recoup afterward. And and um, you know, thankfully, we learned that early on. Otherwise, we definitely would have burned ourselves out.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's a great way to end this thing. So, where can people go learn more about SkySpecs and what you're doing?
2: our website skyspecs.com um, LinkedIn we've got a lot of posts on LinkedIn like our progress uh, but yeah I mean take a look there um, we, we don't put out too many posts too many tweets or LinkedIn messages but we definitely do and uh, you know check us out there and shoot me an email if you've got any questions
1: cool well thanks for coming on thanks for sharing some wisdom I know it's always good to chat
0: with you so thanks for doing this
2: yeah absolutely thank you
0: I hope that you loved this episode of the Start Station podcast. If you're loving what we're doing, I would be really thankful for a five-star review. At the end of the day, we're here to help build up innovation ecosystems. So leave feedback. And if you'd like to submit a question, please send it to me at podcast at startstation.co. That's podcast at startstation.co. And with that, I'll see you next time.